The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Hey guys, you guys doing good? You ready? This is the third time, right? Third time's a charm. They're doing good. It's getting better every time. Better every time. Let me introduce these guys to you. First of all, we have Molly Ratliff here. Many of you know. Many of you know Molly from announcements here at the church. Some of you who are New Song students, you know Molly. Molly is a nurse by day, or actually by night. She's a nurse. And uh, she also works in our threshold classroom with our fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And she is a big part of our student ministry here at New Song Church. And uh, we love Molly. She's got a great word for you this morning. Next to her is Jenny Przicki. And she is an occupational therapist. I got it right this time, right? She's in school for that. And uh, she's, she's awesome. She works in New Song Kids and is a greeter. She works in threshold, works in the nursery. She's a, she's a utility player in kids. And uh, she's, she's amazing. And then next to her is Eric Williams. Eric works in the Greater Oklahoma City uh, Chamber of Commerce. And uh, he's an OSU grad, but we don't hold that against him. It's okay. <laughs> he's got his socks. He's flexing with the socks this morning. I love it. But, uh, but he also works in Threshold, works with our students. He, he leads the, a small group of the high school students and is just amazing. These guys have an incredible work. So, okay, so here's what your job is, all right? Our, your job is to hear from God. Listen, God's going to speak to you today. I believe that. I believe God's got a word for you today. But also your job is to cheer them on, all right? Let me just let you in know on something. When you're up here, the way the lights hit, they like cast this shadow over your eyebrows. It makes it look like sometimes you guys are angry. Sometimes I'm, I'm up here preaching, and I know you're just out there going, mm, that's so good. But it looks like you're going, man, I hate that guy. <laughs> I know you don't. You love me, right? Yeah. Say, we love you, Pastor. We love you, Pastor. Good, good to hear. So, but maybe just tilt your head back a little bit and smile this morning, all right? And, and if they say something good, say, man, that's good. Amen. Preach. Let's go. Feed us. Whatever. <laughs> Help us. There you go. Help me. Dear Lord, help me. And if it's not good, say it anyway. Say, that's good. That's okay. That was decent. All right? Say something. All right. You guys ready to welcome? All right. So would you put your hands together and welcome Molly as she comes up this morning? How are we doing this morning, church? Good. Before we get going, I just want to take a second just to thank our pastors for the opportunity to be a part of this weekend. And beyond that, just being able to call you guys my pastors. You know, there are a lot of good pastors in the world, but some are just pastors because they have that title. I think you guys are pastors in your character and in your heart and in your relationships with people. And so I'm happy to be a part of this church and be able to say we have pastors like you at this church. So, um, yes. We have good, good pastors. Like Pastor Josh said, my name is Molly, and I like to do a bunch of things around the church because we have an amazing church, so I get to help out in Threshold on the weekends with our fourth, fifth, and sixth grade class, and I get to help out um, Wednesday nights with our students and do announcements from time to time. And you may also know me because of my husband, Emmanuel Ratliff. Yes. <laughs> I like him a lot. 
Um, but we've been married a little over six years this last April, but we've known each other a really good part of our life, like almost 15 years or so. So I'm only like 28, 29, so that's a good portion of my life right there. Um, we actually met in youth group and so that is a good plug, parents, for our student ministry. Your kids are going to meet Jesus, but they may meet a future spouse. You never know what's going to happen. So it's a good place to be. But honestly, a lot about who I am is because I grew up in church. I got to go to youth ministry. I got to go to kids. I got to even when my mom was pregnant with me is when I started attending church. So it's a good foundation, and I'm grateful that that is my story. But one thing you'll realize when you grow up in church, if your family was like my family, you're always at church. When the door is opened, you're there. When it's a service, when it's an extra event in the week, you're there, which is great. But as a kid, sometimes you'll recognize that you're at church and church isn't even happening and yet you're still at church. Your parents are talking, you're waiting, ready to go home, but you're still at church. And you're still at church an hour later and then two hours later, you're still at church. So it's good, but you can get restless as a kid. And so um, us living kids, the kids that feel like they live at church practically, you have to find things to do. And one of the things we always like to do was play hide and go seek. And so I'm competitive and I knew the church like the back of my hand. So um, I was going to find all the best hiding places. And if I hid, you were not going to find me, right? I was going to be the champion. But that is something you pride yourself on as a kid. That's the whole point of hide and go seek is not to be found, right? Yeah. But I realize the older I get that sometimes what I once relished in has become this feared reality. That sometimes I sit there and I think, do people see me? Like the real me. Does God see me? Sometimes I'll think, God, maybe you see me, but you just see me with disappointment. Because I know your word talks about that you knew me from the very beginning. You saw me. You created me. And it says that you had thoughts and a hope and a future for my life. I also know the reality of my life, that I have a lot of weaknesses and insecurities, and I could list the sins that I've done. And so how can you look at that, God, and look at that gap between those two and look at me with anything less than disappointment? And I realize usually when I'm in that thought process, I do one of two things. Either I am so desperate to be seen and be acknowledged for something that I find myself trying to go to something where I feel like I can be seen. And so maybe I'm not called in that area or I'm not prepared for that. Or maybe I do have a calling in it, but because I'm using it for self-validation, I end up using it for the wrong reasons instead of glorifying God. Or the second thing I'll do is I'll cower from my calling because I'm doubting that God can even see me. So how can I have a calling? Or how could I live up to that calling if I did have one? Obviously, those things are not good. Those aren't good options, and God knows that. And he's done a really good job about bringing truth and freedom in that situation for me and helping show me how he sees me. But for my life, he's always done that through two things. And I think he does this for everybody. Every time he brings truth and freedom, he always brings it through people and his word. So I remember not too long ago, honestly, that I was just really having one of those days, just really in my feelings that day, playing the sad song over and over again. You know, God, I just don't feel like people see me. I don't feel like you see me. I honestly feel like I'm in the shadows. And I'll be honest, I left that conversation and I didn't feel any better. I didn't feel like God answered me. And so that just cemented that fear in my mind. But there was a His group that night, one of our community groups for women here at the church. And church, that's just a side note, the power of community groups. Sometimes you're praying things and God will directly answer you in that moment. But other times, I believe 
God has your answer, but he's waiting for you to partner with someone. He's waiting for you to connect with another person. And that is where your answer is. And that's what happened for me that night. I went to this, his group, and there was a wonderful time of worship with some women. And, and afterwards, there's women there who were operating in their gifts and their callings. And they believed that God had a word for certain people there that night. And so at two different times, two different women came up to me. And they quietly began to share with me what they felt like God was saying. And what they didn't realize is they were repeating this conversation I had literally just had with God. And they were giving his answer. And they said that, Molly, I see you, and you are not in the shadows. I love that moment. And that's a really good, like, goosebump moment and something you can hold to. But maybe you're like me, and you're kind of stubborn. And sometimes you have to, like, hear it again, right? Or you need a different perspective, or you, you just... Got to see it from a different angle. So God knows that about me as well. And so he's done a good job about bringing this in his own word and letting me see it. So he's really done this through the life of Peter. I think Peter struggled with this idea of how does God see me? Because we look at his story and sometimes we see him being like the first one to jump in and say something because he wants to get that acknowledgement. And sometimes he missteps and God has to correct him and put him in his place a little bit. And then we see G uh, Peter cowering from his calling because he's struggling with, you know, shame and guilt. So I think he struggled with how does God see me? But we also see God showing up and teaching Peter how he really sees him and bringing some freedom to him. So I want to look at his story real quick. We first get to see Peter in Matthew chapter 4. It says, one day as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. We then see that Peter gets his calling into ministry where he's no longer going to be a fisherman, but he's going to fish for men. And then later in Peter's story, we find him at that dinner table at that famous Last Supper meal with Jesus and the other disciples. And it's at this meal that Jesus drops a bomb. He lets Peter know that you're about to mess up so bad and you're actually going to do it so fast that the rooster's not going to have time to crow twice. A lot of us mess up pretty fast sometimes. And then, sure enough, we see Peter at this famous courtyard betrayal scene, and he denies Jesus three times back to back. But Luke 22 adds this like gut-wrenching detail. He says, as soon as Peter denies him the third time, the Lord looks straight at Peter. Hashtag scene, right? <laughs> this is the part of the story that I get stuck, and I think this is where Peter gets stuck. Because if I'm questioning, you know, God, I don't know if you ever see me, but now more than ever, I'm confident you see me. This is the moment you have to see me. And you have to be looking at me with disappointment. Because this is the moment I just messed it all up. I did the very thing I said I would never do. I messed up. How can you not see me any other way? I think Peter felt this way. Because he did what I would probably do. And that's just to kind of give up and go back to what you know. In John 21, it says that Peter went back to the Sea of Galilee. And he went fishing. But Jesus showed up as well. And Jesus begins to do this beautiful redemptive story um, through a number of different things. So first, he performs this miracle for Peter, which is really similar to the miracle that actually started Peter's journey with Jesus. He allows Peter to catch a lot of fish where previously Peter couldn't catch anything. And in this miracle, he's redeeming Peter's start. Jesus then redeems that Last Supper meal for Peter. We just celebrated that Last Supper meal with communion, and, and we love doing that. We honor it. We, we look on that moment with gratitude. But I think for Peter in this moment, he could have looked on that meal as a meal of shame because this was the meal right before everything 
turned on its head. This was right before he just made the biggest mistake of his life. But Jesus redeemed this meal by giving breakfast to Peter on that seashore that morning. Then Jesus redeems all of those denials by allowing God, or sorry, by allowing Peter to declare his love for him three different times. And then he seals that redemption in by once again calling him and saying, follow me. I love that redemptive story just because of the redemption. But I also think it's really cool because it was purposed and it was planned. Um, It was not reactionary to Peter's mess up. And we know that back in Mark 14 that Jesus gave insight that I know you're going to mess up, Peter. And so he knew about it from the start. But I think what Peter missed in that moment and what we oftentimes miss in our own lives and even when we're looking back at the story is there was more to that conversation that night. Back in Mark chapter 14, Jesus also said in the conversation, after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Jesus' plan from the whole beginning was to meet Peter in his lowest moment. He was set out from the start before Peter had a chance to mess up to plan that encounter. And I think that's because Jesus was setting out to tell Peter that I see you. I see your past. I see your present. I see your future. I see the you you're ashamed of. I see the you you have guilt over. I see the you that you fear. I see the you that you're struggling with. I see the you where you're walking and you're calling and you're doing the right things and you're in relationship with me. I see the you I created. I see the you I died for. I see the you my blood covers. I see you. As I end today, I just want to end with one last thought from a woman named Hagar. In the Old Testament, God gives a promise to Abraham, but this promise isn't going to come through Hagar. And Hagar, though, she still gets her moment with God. And after her moment with God, she gives God a name. It's the name that I think Peter would also give God. It's the name I would give God. And I think today, if you would allow God to redeem your story, if you would allow him to tell you how he sees you, it's a name that you could call God. The name that she gives God is Elroy, and that means the God who sees me. The truth that set me free is that he is the God who sees me. All right, my turn. Um, my name is Jenny B. John, Pastor Josh got it right this time. The other services were a little rough, but um, I am Jenny B. I just want to start off by thanking our pastors for the opportunity to be up here and kind of share some of the lessons that God has taught me through my life. More than just today, I want to thank them for this church, for the way that they have followed their calling to allow us all to be able to be here and grow closer to Christ. This church is really important to me because this is my first ever church home. This is the first place that I have ever planted myself. It's a place that when I walked in, I knew that something was different about this place. And I feel like a lot of you have that same experience here that when you walk in, the people, the environment, you just know that God's doing something here. And when I was when I came here, I just knew that I wanted to be a part of the change that this church was going to make. Um, this church has taught me the power of the Holy Spirit. It has taught me more than just who he was and what he did in his story, but who he is, what he's doing, and what he wants to do through me. And this church has also given me a really awesome community of 
biblical believers that pour into me, that are intentional with me, that notice when I'm not here for a weekend. I get a text. I get called out. What are you doing? Where are you at? Um, And so I feel seen by these people. And this is extremely important to me because I didn't grow up in a church household. I grew up in the opposite of what I believe everyone in this room would thrive to give their families. I grew up in an upbringing that taught me that you had to work in order to be loved. And it was a threshold that I never met, and I, but I worked so hard to try to feel, to try to reach. And I worked to try to get them to see me and love me. And it was an upbringing that told me that I was replaceable, that my emotions weren't valid, that anything I had to say wasn't right. And it wasn't valid. It was told that yelling is a normal form of communication and that it's okay. And that everything came with conditions. And so I believe that this is really what drew me to a really strong personal relationship with Christ. Because all of a sudden, I was late middle school, early high school, and I went to a church camp. And all of a sudden, there was this father this father that loved me unconditionally, that his love was never changing, that he was constant, and that there's nothing that I could do more or do less in order to make him love me. And this was this whole realization obviously changed my life. But when I went home, I really struggled because I was the only Christian in this house, and I struggled with how do you be a good Christian? How do I share God's love in a broken home? A lot of you might not relate to that, but in the same way, ask yourself, how do you be a loving Christian and share God's light in a broken world? How do you, how do you continue to do that and share God's love in such a world that's so full of brokenness? And my answer at that time was to be silent. I was really quiet. I wanted to keep the peace. I didn't want to ruffle feathers. And so I also always stuck around. I was always there, and I was always a listening ear, even when the things that they were saying to me were painful and hurtful. I listened because I thought that the best way to show God's love was to show up, was to be there and to not go anywhere. And I thought that's just the cards that I was dealt. This is the situation that I'm given. This is who I'm supposed to be. This is just the pain that I'm supposed to I'm supposed to endure. And but, but more than that, I was this person that filled my plate as full as I could possibly go. Said yes to everything. Anything anybody needed from me, I was there. Anything anybody anytime anybody needed to vent, I was there. And so I was always that person that filled my plate so full that it was filling over just because I wanted to serve others. This basically turned me into a doormat. I was walked all over, and I didn't have a backbone, and I didn't stand up for myself. I was a huge people pleaser. At the time, I really genuinely thought that I was doing what I was supposed to do, that my ultimate goal was to please God and glorify Him, but I didn't realize that I was prioritizing everybody else over pleasing Him. And this all... It was like that until 2019. You guys know those passages in the Bible where it says, but God. And it's those verses where prior there was all this brokenness and pain and evil. And when it says, but God, God's about to show up. He He is about to come in, clean house, redeem something, show his love and his power. And he's about to say, the world says this is supposed to happen, but... 
here I am, and this is what's really going to happen. And so that was 2019 for me. I wish I could tell you guys that something different happened, that there was this abrupt change, and that was the reason why I flipped, but there wasn't. And I believe that I have everything to thank for the Holy Spirit of that because the situation was the same. It's the same conversation I'd heard for 20 years. It was the same abuse. It was the same pain that was being spewed into my life. And usually I was silent, but this one, I was done. I was done. I was ready to fight, and I had a fire. And this fire was saying, I'm not willing to lose God's peace in order to keep the peace anymore. This isn't who God wants me to be. But in order to do this, God was saying, you got to act. You got to move. There's something you got to do in order to create this life that you want for yourself. And the act that I made and why I'm up here for you guys is boundaries. So I began to create boundaries. And so I created boundaries. A way that I was able to decipher what needed boundaries in all aspects of my life was that Anything that was destructive to God's peace and distracted me from God's love needed something different. So there was something that needed to be protected, saying yes is okay, and we are called to be servants, but we aren't called to be slaves to the world. We aren't called to be slaves to the cards that the world hands us. We're called to overcome the world, not give into it. And so the truth that set me free is that God never made me to be a doormat. But he made me to be the door. He, he gives me the opportunity to allow in the good and cast out the bad. He gives me the power to be able to say, this is healthy, this relationship, these words, this time, this glorifies God, this doesn't. We need less of this here. And I'm allowed to say no in order to protect God's love and God peace that he gives me so that I can glorify him. And uh, so I learned that it's not mean to say no. The boundaries aren't mean. The boundaries are not unloving. The boundaries protect love. And that, so in Proverbs 4.23, it reads, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And something I really want to emphasize in this is the above all else. He doesn't say unless it's your parents, unless it's your children, unless it's your boss, unless it's your spouse. He, it doesn't say any of that. It says Guard your heart above all else, for everything that you do flows from it. When I began to learn the power that God gave me to guard my life, how he actively wants me to be a part of it through creating boundaries and protecting who I am and what's healthy to me, and how he wanted me to do this really helped me see my life produce real love. And I was finally drowning out the world, and I could hear him saying again that you are loved. You are fully known, you are seen, that you are important, what your, your, your emotions, your feelings, that they're valid, that they're important and that they deserve to be heard, that you are, that he's saying that I am his child and somebody that he cherishes, that he's given me a voice and he calls me to be bold in it. He doesn't call me to just listen to the world and what's happening to me. He calls me free and he calls me redeemed. And... When I realized all of this, from it flowed 
healthy relationships. All of a sudden, I saw myself and I saw the world how God intended me to see it in the beginning. And so I was able to communicate in a healthy way. I was able to have lasting and intentional relationships with people that my family life might look a little bit different, but I have a family. I have so many people that love me, that pour into me, and that I have all this to thank for when I learned that I had the power to do this and all of a sudden I could communicate, I had confidence in my voice and I had intentional relationships. And because of this, I was able to reach my goal that I was trying to at the beginning. All of a sudden, I can show God's love because it's not covered by me trying to please the world so badly. I was finally able to show God love and just not by my works, but Jesus' love. So not just mine, but his. And so God set me free when he taught me the power I hold to guard my heart by creating boundaries. He gives me the power to be the door, and it's because of this truth that I am who I am and not who the chains of this world said I was supposed to become. Man. Such good words. Man, I'm encouraged. Um, but yeah, I just want to echo Molly and echo Jenny um, in saying thank you, Pastor Josh and Pastor Sarah, for your leadership, your example, your heart, your love for this church, and um, your willingness to say yes. Um, I'm reminded of a, of a quote that said, there's way too many Christians, especially here in the Bible Belt, when it comes to church, they just simply show up, they shut up, they pay up, but they never grow up. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm... I'm thankful and honored to be a part of a home of a church that is focused on growing up. Um, that uh, like not only is the staff and the leadership so zealous and passionate and hungry for his word and for his love, but the body, the members of the church are as well. So thank you for that. Um, but my name is Eric Williams and uh, I've been here at New Song since January of this year uh, with my beautiful, my better half, my wife, Ashley, who uh, I refer to also as Mrs. Big Dog. Uh, honey Boo Bear, Bunches of Oats, and when we're going to sleep, Big Spoon. I'm the Little Spoon. There's no shame in being a Little Spoon, husbands. It's awesome. Um, but uh, I've got uh, a couple truths um, that I'd like to share that kind of coincide with each other. Um, is it okay if I get a bit real with you all today? So, so really for me, it started when, when I was a child just growing up. Um, I would, we went to a small Baptist church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, whenever I was seven years old, we moved to St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Pretty cool. Um, but we, were, we grew up in a Catholic church. Um, and I know everyone's experience is different. But for me, I didn't really get to see what that relationship with Jesus looks like. Um, and so, but really blessed, thankful for godly, incredible parents. They loved me and my sister. They, they taught us well how to carry ourselves, how to be kind, how to work hard, how to do the right thing taught us about God um, and, and the word. And I remember my mom would always have me quote Jeremiah 29, 11, whenever I was leaving to school or to hang with friends. And you know, as a kid, you get impatient. You're like, all right, I get it. For I know the plans I've used as the Lord plans are given. All right, God, let me go play. And so, uh, but super, super thankful for the example they set. Um, but uh, so as I got older, um, you know, as you, you get to puberty, there are times where conversations need to be had. Um, they're a bit more uncomfortable. They're, they're a little bit deeper. They're a little bit awkward. Uh, but they're necessary. And uh, me and my parents, we never really got to have those conversations. So I was given the birds and the bees talk, you know, at seven or eight years old. So I knew what sex was, um, but uh, that was about it. It was, it was a household where, you know, you do the right thing and that's it, you know, and there was nothing more to it. 
Um, and so I was never really taught the, the truth, the power behind sex and, and God's design for it, that it is the most powerful, intimate, unifying way that a husband and wife can share that love um, to be fully known and fully loved. And so um, I just learned about the basics. Uh, and so the additional side, um, I learned in the locker room. I learned at the lunch table. I learned on the bus rides. I learned at a buddy's house. And so how many of us know that God, he creates so many beautiful aspects of life that honor and glorify him, but that we have an enemy. Um, and that enemy, he can't create, he can only manipulate. And so that's what he did. And I feel like sex, especially in this time, this generation, it's, that's probably been one of the most manipulated areas of life. And so I was just at a buddy's house at 11 years old. Um, and one night he showed me something that I shouldn't have been shown. And that was the start of a huge struggle for me. Uh, so as, as, as I got, you know, into middle school, what started out as a periodic, you know, occasional me sneaking away to go look at stuff quickly turned into a daily activity and went even further. Sin will take you further than when you want to go and it'll make you pay more than you want to pay. Um, and so I started diving in and I was quickly becoming addicted and acting on what I was seeing, um, and ended up failing to save myself for marriage. Um, and so this was through middle school into high school. Um, and it's hard because, you know, when you don't have the relationship with Jesus and you don't know the full truth, it's hard to have conviction. So I didn't have that conviction about it because everybody else was doing it. It was quote unquote cool. Um, and it was, this was a private school. It wasn't a public school. So it's not just in public schools, y'all. Um, and so, you know, as I got into um, high school later on, uh, we ended up moving here to Edmond, Oklahoma, where I was invited to youth for the first time. Didn't know what youth was, didn't know it existed. I didn't know high school students and middle school students got together to worship and to get in the word and to learn about that relationship with Jesus. And so that first Wednesday, this was August 2012, my junior year, um, that first time in worship, I got the holy goosebumps. I was super stoked. I was like, man, this is incredible. God, I give my life to you. I wanna commit to you. I wanna make you known and know you. Um, and so 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? It says, for we are a new creation and the old is gone, the new has come. Spiritually, 100% true. Physically, we got some stuff to work on now. We're imperfect people. And so this is a lifelong journey. Um, and so as we continued through, you know, junior year, I'm learning more about God and I'm learning, you know, how to serve and how to lead and how to love. Um, but Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, right? Like I was, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that's what I was starting to do was renew my mind. Um, but uh, it's a struggle right? I, I would, every time we'd be at a camp, at an altar call, at a conference, I would be, you know, going up for prayer, like, what's the one thing that's holding you back that you need to give to God, that you need to be set free from? For me, that was my sexual purity. And, you know, I would hear about all these people that are, like, miraculously healed and changed forever after that one moment. And here I am, like, what, I'm like, one year into this, two years into this, three years into this, why am I not seeing victory? Um, and so I noticed one of the biggest pieces um, was my iPhone, right? This secret sin, this, this sexual purity, this immorality, it's, it's secretive, it's private, and it's free. It's the deadly trifecta. And, and I can tell you the stats. I know one of the biggest ones for me was 80% of male 13 to 25 years old have looked at it once within the past month. That's Christians and non-Christians. 
And so I was definitely a part of that category. Um, but can I tell you that God can still use imperfect people, right? I was still serving. I was still learning. I was still growing. And I, it doesn't matter, you know, what your imperfections are. He used imperfect people all throughout the Bible. Jesus was the only perfect one. Um, and so, you know, I'm still doing this, still growing, still learning throughout high school. Um, but this continues into college. Um, you know, I would try to go strong and memorize scripture and get in the word and pray. Um, and so I'd probably go through three or four weeks of victory, like not stumbling or falling. And then boom, I would fall again a week, every day of messing up. And this was this continuous cycle. And so I really started to feel a lot of shame, a lot of discouragement because I had goals that I wanted to be clean and be sexually pure before I become a husband. Um, because I didn't want to bring this into my marriage. And guys, can I tell you, marriage does not fix your issues. Time, age does not fix your issues. Um, and so I wanted to be that example. I did not want to be a hypocrite. Um, as if we call ourselves believers, I wanted to be that example to follow, not just publicly, but privately too. And so, but uh, in that moment, just as, as Molly said, um, that God chose people to speak into me. That just as Jenny said, that but God moment that year for me was my junior year at OSU where God can take your biggest test and turn it to the biggest testimony. He can take your biggest mess and turn it to the biggest message you've ever had in your life. And so God spoke through one of my disciples, uh, Brady. He was a mentor, part of Navigators College Ministry. And uh, I was sharing with him my, my, my journey, my story, my struggle, how I just, I feel like I'm never gonna get out of this. And he sits me down and he says, Eric, it sounds to me like you've been trying to achieve your purity. It's not about achievement. It's about pursuit. And immediately I felt this huge weight off my shoulders. I was trying to earn my purity. And Ephesians 2, 8 verse 9 says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. From yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. If we, were, if we could do this on our own, we wouldn't need God. We wouldn't need faith, right? So that is who I am. I am saved by grace through faith. That is my identity. And so he mentioned too that God doesn't care as much about what you do, but who you are. Because who you are will determine what you do. And when you know whose you are, you'll know who you are. And so that was huge for me. That was life-changing, absolutely. So it's not about the intensity of our faith, trying to do more and be more, but the intimacy of our faith. How closely are we how, can we, how can we be so consumed by his love, by his passion, by his presence, by his spirit, that it's all offense? We're just going after him, not even trying to think, oh, I need to avoid sin. I need to not do the wrong thing here. Um, and so that was one big truth for me was it's not about achievement, it's about pursuit. And the second one, being that he shared with me is life begins where your comfort zone ends. It takes uncomfortability. It takes challenge. It takes grinding to grow. And so he mentioned James 5, 16 that says, you know, we can ask for forgiveness from God and be forgiven, which is awesome, but it's not until we confess it to one another that we are healed. And that's where the true growth happens. And so he talked to me about how Jesus, he talked to thousands of people, but he walked with a few. He had 12 disciples that he did life with. And then of those 12, he had three, his Peter, James, and John, that he was brothers with, best friends that weren't just service level talking about the NBA finals and playing video games and working out, but diving deep to say, how's your heart? How are you struggling? How can we sharpen each other and really help each other in life? And so he asked me who my Peter, James, and John were. And uh, there were three guys 
in my fraternity that um, we were all in the same boat, same vision, trying to grow in our purity, grow as men of God so that we could be better husbands, better men, better fathers. And so we decided in our house, no closed doors, no locked doors. Everything is in sight, nothing's hidden so that we could have that accountability. And for the iPhone, there's a software called Covenant Eyes that we got downloaded that tracks what you look at and keeps you accountable in that way. And then there was a, a series called the Conquer series that really dives into the science of the addiction um, behind pornography. So doing all that so that while we were making sure that we were playing offense, being proactive and going after the Lord's heart and being one with him, while also having that system of accountability in place, it was offense and defense for when we fall and when we're imperfect. And so after that, we started seeing more and more victory to where now Ashley and I, we have a fruitful marriage undefiled that I'm super thankful for. Never thought it could have happened without him. So, and so it's been truly incredible because that was the second truth. Life begins where your comfort zone ends. And so I've been able to help walk with other guys through their journey in purity um, and still being mindful and aware. You can't just think you've had victory and conquered it because the enemy's creative. And so always being mindful, but just to know that the church is not a country club, but it's a hospital for us. We are all broken. We are all sinners. We are all hurting. And this house, this church, we as the body, not just in this building, but out, are designed to be the doctors, right? The nurses to help people spiritually. And just know that you don't need to clean yourself up or change before you say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus and watch the change and the cleaning take place. And so just want to end with that. And just know that it's never too late to set yourself free. Come on, church. Give him a hand. Yes. You did it. Way to go. Way to go. So proud of you guys. Great stuff. I hope you guys were taking notes like I was. I wrote down a few things. Molly, God sees me. Not just when I mess up. Man, that's such a great truth. I think we feel that way sometimes with the Lord. Like, we don't feel like God sees us until we mess up. God sees you all the time. And He wants to meet you in your lowest point. And His plan was to always redeem you. Jenny, you taught us that God does not want us to be a doormat, but a door where we can welcome in the good and close the door on the bad. Guarding our heart is not selfish. It protects what's precious and makes room so that the love of God can flow through our life. If you have to sacrifice God's peace, you're giving up too much. Such a great truth. Eric, I don't know what bunches of oats means, but I like it. Yep, it's good stuff. But I love this. Who, whose you are determines who you are and what you do. Boy, that's so good. Who are your three? Go all in. You know, I, I love your message, Eric. I love everybody, but I can relate to you. Obviously, many of people in our church know this was a struggle for me. I was at one point addicted to pornography in my life. And I'm telling you what he's saying is true. This, this locked door stuff, you got to take the doors off the hinges in your life. Uh, you got to make changes, make hard changes. Until you're ready to go all in and commit fully, you ain't going to get free. I'll talk to people in the church sometimes. Men are struggling in this area. And I'll talk to them. I'll say, okay, let's talk to your wife about it. Let's do this. And, and they'll be like, ah, I don't think I'm ready for that. And I'll say, all right, then you're going to stay stuck. 
until you're willing to go all in, you're going to stay stuck. And uh, Eric, what a great testimony. Man, so good. So good. Uh, Life begins where your comfort zone ends. Amen. Such good stuff. Would you extend your hand towards these guys? I want to pray a blessing over them. I want you to know preparing a message is not easy, especially when you're new at it. And I know these guys have spent hours, hours over the last few weeks preparing for this and uh, rehearsing it and going over it and talking it out and recording themselves doing it and all that stuff. I want you to know God saw every minute of that, every minute of that. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And you have sent forth the word today and I believe it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. And so I pray over you right now. I pray over these three young communicators. God, I'm so grateful for the people that you're bringing up in this church. I was thinking today as they're speaking about the past years and how every year the young communicators just get more implanted into our church. And some of our leaders in this church and this house are people that have stood on this platform on this weekend. And so God, I'm thankful for these three for what you gave to them. I'm grateful for their willingness to give of themselves, to step out of their comfort zone. And so right now, I pray a blessing over them. I pray, Lord, that you would open up the windows of heaven over their life and pour out a blessing that they can't contain over their relationships. Uh, Give them wisdom, give them direction over their marriages, in their life, wherever they are, God. I just pray that you would just bless them for giving of themselves like they did this weekend. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give them one more hand as they exit the stage? Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.